Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Okay, so some of you might consider this show a little bit of a throwaway, which to me isn't entirely fair, and maybe I shouldn't have even started the podcast by bringing that possibility up. But today we're going to be talking about what I like to call the how did everybody do part of the offseason. And we used to call it how did Yahoo do, but uh, then Yahoo started changing their official site ranks after the season started, and I'm frankly not you know, I'm doing so many damn things on a day-to-day basis, but I don't make excuses. The, the simple fact is, I always forget to take a screen grab of Yahoo's ranks on, say, like, a week before the season starts, and then, you know, three weeks into the season or a month into the season or whatever it is, the they change their stuff, and then it's not useful for us anymore. So, as a result, last year I had to change the format of this this segment, this uh, chunk of shows, really, that we do every offseason from how did Yahoo do to how did the, how did the, all of us, the public, the universe at large do by replacing Yahoo's preseason ranks with uh, ADP numbers for players. So we just had to sub one in for the other. But for those that have been a part of this for a while, you guys know what we're about to get into periodically. Some off-seasons I try to do like five or six shows right in a row of this stuff, but I think that actually gets a tiny bit dry. So we're going to space them out. It's going to be segmented. This show that where I'm just explaining what's going on is not going to be available on YouTube because, you know, primer shows don't, I think, tend to... (laughs) really be all that well trafficked but i'd like to try to get the all i'd like to try to get all the other ones on video as well so here's what this means uh what this you know how did we all do segment of shows compares the adp of everyone in the league to where they finished meaning how accurate was consensus And consensus isn't any particular site or expert or whatever, but it is often how, you know, your Yahoo room gets organized by their X rank, and then X rank strongly influences ADP, so those two do tend to converge by the end of draft season. I personally believe that this was a slightly, slightly more helpful series of shows when we could compare it to Yahoo's X rank, because that was the thing that's flashing up on your screen on draft night. But we're going to still be able to pull a lot out of ADP as well. And then what we do is we compare the ADP to the final ranks, both on a per game and a totals basis, in terms of a rolling average and a rolling sum. Meaning, how did the ADPs do in sort of a, a, a total, n total, and in little quanta, little chunks. 
For instance, if you want to look back at last year, so we're not doing any kind of preview of this season's numbers, last year, you know, if you were looking and and the ab, we'll get into the absolute value and stuff like that as we dive a little bit deeper on this this thing, and then we're gonna have to do the Dan, what the hell is an absolute value part of the show? But the point is, you know, if you look at like picks one through ten last year, the average miss size was 7.6. That's on a per-game basis. And then depending on how players fall into that, that number is going to change dramatically by, you know, if you have a couple of really big misses in a row, then the per-10 is going to be impacted for 10 picks. We'll do a per-5 also, so you can sort of really kind of squeeze these packets down a little bit tighter. But like last year, a good example of this would be, um, sorry, I think I was talking about totals, not per game. It doesn't really matter for our purposes here, but you're looking at totals. Uh, Last year, Paul George missed a lot of the season. (laughs) Some things never change. Uh, Bradley Beal missed most of last season also, not this most recent season, last year. So, um... Those guys had an ADP last year of 13 and 14, respectively. So everything from pick the the running 10 spot, sort of like a lagging indicator here, uh, for 10 picks after that was all mucked up. Even if the picks on either side of Paul George and Bradley Beal weren't by themselves all that bad. Like Vooch last year had an ADP of 15, and he finished at 18. <laughs> it's so funny how far he fell for no reason at all. Jimmy Butler had an ADP of 16. He finished at 32. Zach Levine, or uh, LeBron had an ADP of 20. He finished at 16 last year. So there were actually some picks shortly after the, the George Beal contingent last season that were relatively good. But the way you can track that is you can see, okay, well, how much does the per 10 running uh, average... How much does that move pick to pick? Does it go up? Does it come down? You know, if it goes, honestly, a trend line would be the better thing to follow for that, as opposed to just looking at the number. The trend line there went from 14 to 29 to 47 and stayed at 47 then 48, 51, 55, 57, back down to 56, 49, 48, 33, 14, But again, some of that is when you get those bad picks out of the mix. Some of it is when the picks are just sort of not bad. Because if the distance between the ADP and the final number is less than that per 10, it's going to bring it down. So this is why we need a bunch of different metrics. We have the difference. We have the absolute value of the difference. And I want to get into that here, why we have both of those. So uh, the reason we have both of those, and then for those that are not as uh, nerdy as me um, or haven't been listening to the podcast for quite as long, the absolute value of a number takes you back to, I don't remember what year we learned about that in math class, something in that middle school maybe? I don't know. Who knows? Um, The absolute value is basically just the actual distance between two things. So... The simplest way to describe it is negatives become positives. Positives stay positives and positives and negatives become positives. That's the very 
extremely short way to describe it. But the way to think of it in our standpoint here, when we're analyzing pick distance, is that if the ADP of a player is 50 and they finished at 25, that's 25 above, so that would be like a 25-slot win. They beat their ADP. Versus 75, which is 25-slot loss, if you took those, honestly, if you could just do those back-to-back, the average of those two, if you said one of them won by 25 and the next one lost by 25, the average would be zero. So if you looked at that from a non-absolute value standpoint, it would actually look like the ADPs were perfect over those two picks, when in fact, they each missed by 25. So it should be a 25-point difference. So that's why the absolute value, there's no positives and negatives. It's actually just, in our for our purposes, it's the strict distance you'd have to travel between the ADP and the final rank. And if that first very short story wasn't enough to describe why we actually need that particular metric... It's because we're trying to figure out how much ADPs are missing by. So if they miss by positive 25 and then they miss by negative 25, it's going to tell us they didn't miss at all over those two picks, when in fact, they missed by 25 on each of them. Because what we're trying to determine in all of this, this exercise, is not so much to determine, oh, were the ADPs good or were they bad? It's to determine scale nuance i know heaven forbid we're determining nuance we want to know not just did something miss how much did it miss by where did it miss what part of the draft were the misses happening larger than others and is there any pattern to all of this for instance again i want to look back at last year's the, uh, there are areas where the absolute value and the non converge, and then there are areas where they are extremely different from one another. Like, here's a great example. Last year, uh, right around pick 56, the per game, sort of running per 10, was 2.3. If you just looked at that number, you'd think that over the previous 10 picks, so pick 47, 48, 49, 50, 51, 52, 53, 54, 55, 56, 47 to 56, you would think that the ADPs were perfect. Basically that the average miss size was 2.3. But here's the problem with that. Pick 48, overshot by 90. But then pick 50, undershot by 36. Pick 51, undershot by 45. There were one, two, three, four, five, six consecutive wins in that range between pick 50 and 55. And then around those, there were pretty significant misses. And Anobi was a minus 90. This is, again, not this season, the previous one. Nurk was a minus 91. Kyrie, who... You remember last year he was missing all kinds of basketball games. He was a minus 104. 
So when you rolled all of those together, it actually looked like an unbelievable sequence where Yahoo's ADPs or our ADP, whatever, were just brilliant. But the absolute value miss size was 43. Folks, picture this nightmare scenario. You're hosting friends for the big game. It's neck and neck in the fourth quarter, and suddenly you realize you're out of drinks. Ooh, say all of your friends. You start to sweat. Your friends turn on you. You're forced to go on a last-second drink run and end up missing the game-winning touchdown while in line. Oh, no. Terrifying, isn't it? Luckily, you can avoid the drama with Drizzly, the go-to app for drink delivery. With Drizzly, you can shop a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits then get them delivered right to your watch party. Compare prices across multiple stores in your area, find the best deals on game day drinks, and get back to armchair quarterbacking from, you guessed it, your armchair. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. Must be 21 plus, not available in all locations. Which told a very different story. It told a story that around pick 56 or 47 to 56, you really didn't have to obey the numbers all that much because they were off by almost four rounds on average per player. Believe it or not, not hugely impacted by any one particular pick, although Zion being a negative 254 did have a pretty good size deal to with that, but even if you exclude him, even if you go deep enough into the numbers where he's not a part of it anymore, you're still missing by four to five rounds. This is by totals, so yes, injury stuff did play a role, or just like generally missing ball games played a role. But the the funny, and I don't think I think this year the numbers are going to be better than they were last year. Last year everything was all over the map. Guys missed tons of games for all kinds of reasons. This year you could I think predicted a little bit better but like the absolute value miss size uh from basically the top 30 was like a round and a half which is pretty good outside of the beal paul george anthony davis last year contingent those guys were all clustered together picks 13 15 the uh, 11 13 and 14 excuse me once you eliminate those guys you know top 30 was relatively accurate last season And then you could see the numbers really spiraled from there. Once you got past the top 30, things totally hit the fan. And there was really wasn't much of a reason to stick near where what the ADP suggested outside, again, of a handful of stuff. You're not going to, like, take the guy with an ADP of 75 at pick 40 because you can get that guy two rounds later if you want. This is not telling us the order that we should be drafting people. If you see that from our numbers as we go through them later on this year, if you're seeing here that, you know, around pick 60, the absolute value per 10 miss size is like four rounds. Okay, that's swell. Um, But we also have to remember that some of those misses were in the positive direction. So that doesn't mean that like, oh, well, you can just go take the guy ranked 100 and it would be a better choice than the guy ranked 60, because the absolute value miss size of the guys ranked near 100, that's like seven, eight rounds apart. We're looking for spread. This is like a scatter plot now. Forget the line that I was describing before. We're talking about a scatter plot. It gets harder and harder 
to cluster the dots the farther you go down the board. But that doesn't just tell you, oh, well, just ignore the ADPs altogether because this is all game theory. What it does tell you is the odds of you making that right pick. And if the scatter plot remains somewhat standardized for 10, 15, 20 players in a row, maybe that does open up a little bit of a wider range that you could look at. It's also worth pointing out that on the per-game side, the absolute value miss size does tend to be smaller. What is that telling us? Well, it's largely telling us that Yahoo and the people, the humans of the universe at large, tend to suck at handicapping injury. And also, it tells us that guys do tend to value a history of health because guys that, I mean, again, there's the head-to-head side versus the roto side. Uh, but the guys that someone might just sort of stink it up on a per-game standpoint, they do tend to fall down the board faster than the guys who might stink it up from a can-they-get-on-the-court standpoint. Which, by the way, makes a lot of sense, and I would second that decision. Because you are hunting per-game upside to some degree, and it is... Not impossible to handicap games played, but it is certainly a little bit more of a dice roll. Last year, there were two players drafted in the 20s that completely screwed up the per-game running tally. That was Russell Westbrook, who had no business being drafted in the 20s, and Michael Porter Jr., who played like six games, was horrible, and then was shut down for back issues. Otherwise, the guys drafted in, you know, like the top 50, 60 picks last year you can even go deeper than that, I guess. We're pretty good from a per-game analysis standpoint. The other one that I think stunk in there was Zion. There is a There are certain similarities here. Um, guys who play a handful of games and then are too hurt to improve upon their numbers. Uh, but, you know, if you pull those out, the top... Where do things really start to pivot? Last year, they pivoted at Beef Stew. Isaiah Stewart, it was pick 63 last season. And it was like, after that pick, the per game was off the rails. uh, And totals were off the rails by, like, pick 30. What's this year going to hold? We'll find out as we actually start to go through some of these numbers this year. Now, that's your primer. Probably more primer than you needed, but... I wanted to make sure you guys knew why we're going to do these shows. It's also nice for me because I will have data to sort of junk around with for three, four episodes or however long we want to string this sucker out. And we've got like, you know, 20 odd weeks of off season left. So uh, settle in. I don't think I ever said hello. I feel like I failed to do that on yesterday's show also. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. I am Dan Vespers. This is Fantasy NBA Today, a sports ethos presentation. I continue to be completely and wildly tickled by the fact that Ethos is now a life insurance company as well. It's almost like they saw my fantasy teams and were like, you know what that team needs? Freaking life insurance. Old-ass Dan Vespers old man squad gotta get them some term life stuff 
Or maybe they didn't know we existed, would be my guess. It's not like they took our domain name. I just was so surprised to hear something else called Ethos. It's like, oh, this is a cool name. We took it, and then it popped up someplace else. Our ethos is we hadn't seen the word ethos anywhere. Ah, well. So anyway, here we are in the NBA playoffs. This is the part of the show where we get to talk about what's going on in the real basketball world. And yesterday's games were the first one ended roughly the way that we figured, which was the Knicks would likely even up that series in a tight ball game. But of course, once players started to get ruled out and there were a bunch of guys that were questionable for the Knicks, they all played, not surprisingly, for the Heat, they, he, basically, did not. The Heat were without Jimmy Butler. They led this game until basically like the final seven minutes, and then the Knicks finally started to put the clamps down a little bit. Caleb Martin played well, ended up leaving with... He didn't, I mean, he finished the ballgame, but he was holding his lower back pretty much the entire fourth quarter. Jalen Brunson was excellent. Julius Randle was solid, one of his better ball games. Josh Hart had another double-digit rebounding game off the bench. And... uh yeah, the Knicks did enough. Sort of the, the long and short of that one. Very difficult game to handicap. I will point out, though, that the closing line was the Knicks by 10 once Butler was ruled out. And once again, these double-digit playoff underdogs cover. No Jimmy Butler meant the team sort of throttled back on their effort a little bit. And that usually manifests itself on the defensive side. So it uh, shouldn't be too surprising that the line over-adjusted, and then the total uh, ended up going over. Where This happens all the time. That happened with Joel Embiid, although it was a little bit easier to detail that one because with no Embiid, you knew that the Sixers were going to have to play a little bit faster. With no Butler, I don't know that the Heat necessarily had to play faster, but they had to do a lot more from the perimeter. And then the teams combined hit 33 three-pointers, so whatever. Um, but I don't want to spend too much time on that ball game. I do want to point out that the Lakers-Warriors game went almost exactly as we figured it would. Uh, the total was super confusing in that ball game, but Warriors by four was a total cockamamie line. Lakers fell behind by eight very early and then just slowly pushed from down eight to up 14 before the Warriors made a frantic run to tie it, and then the Lakers scored, I think, basically like the last five points of the game at that juncture. And uh, and that was that. Um, as far as the next one in these in this one, they play again tomorrow. Um, Lakers and Warriors do. Knicks and Heat don't play again until Saturday, which is fine. You know they have a. This is the travel, just like Nuggets Suns had a bunch of days off between their games two and three. They're trying to allow some of these other series to catch up a little bit. I don't you know. Maybe you like it. Maybe you don't. Um, tonight, there's only one game, and it's the Celtics by eight. 76ers um, won the first ball game. Embiid is, it sounds like he's going to try to play. He just won himself an MVP, and now he wants to try to get out there. But they also are going to be a bit careful with him. And they have the luxury of being a bit careful with him because they won game one. That's not to say that there's time to screw around, but... If the Celtics were down 1-0, I think there would be a much larger impetus to get Embiid in there, maybe not at full strength. Here, because at that point, you risk things getting worse. Here, if 
you pl- if you let him rest and sort of like guarantee that he'll be okay by the time their next game rolls around, which I think they offer two, three days after this one. They not go until Sunday. Is that right? I don't know. Uh, teams are getting long stretches of days off here on the the city travel day. But regardless, I mean, that's a that's a big chunk of time. Whether it's two days off or three days off, it's a really large chunk of time. To me, that's what the Sixers should probably do. I know they're going to try to go get greedy, but also they have to realize that even if Embiid plays, it just doesn't... It doesn't feel like... Like, I, are they going to win it even if he plays? I don't know. You can't bend into this ballgame until you know what's happening with Embiid. That's the problem here. If he sits, you'll probably see another double-digit line. Um, and then I might... I might be a bit cautious there because I feel like Boston probably learned their lesson a bit in game one. If he plays, I might look at the Celtics if that number comes down to like five or six. I think it probably would if Embiid is in there. Um, and then on the total, I you know, I don't know that you can do a whole lot. I think if Embiid is in, maybe you consider an under, but I, I'd be extremely cautious. So this is probably one of those games where I feel like it's better to leave it alone. I'll be much more interested in tomorrow's Lakers-Warriors game. Um with everybody just sort of expecting the Warriors to bounce back. I have a lot of thoughts on how that handicap might actually shake itself out. Tomorrow on the podcast, we will either get into a lesson learned or we'll follow our buddies over at Ethos HQ and talk about the Washington Wizards or we'll do our first edition of uh, the um, AD. How did the ADPs do? And it's going to come down basically, and I, I don't mean to put all this pressure on the immune system of a three-year-old, but it's going to basically come down to whether or not my three-year-old is sick. Because today he was, and that's why this show's coming in the afternoon, and also why it's not on YouTube. Also. Also, also. And probably also why it's a bit short. But that'll wrap it up for us here on this Wednesday afternoon. I am Dan Vespris. This was Fantasy NBA Today, a sports ethos presentation. Have a fantastic rest of your day, everybody. Talk to you tomorrow.